Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 103 with Tom Bilyeu of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high-quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan, CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine, coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your earbuds with me. If you are enjoying this podcast, please do tell your friends. Uh, it helps more than you can imagine. And I hope you're enjoying the show. So let's talk about today's guest. His name is Tom Bilyeu, and uh, he is the founder of Quest Nutrition. And uh, these guys are absolutely crushing it. If you want to talk about growth, you want to talk about strategies and marketing, uh, these guys have taken Quest to become a billion-dollar startup. They're considered a unicorn startup, and uh, you know the kind of companies that are considered unicorns are like Airbnb and Uber. And uh, this is what Tom has done uh, with his co-founders with Quest Nutrition. They have 1,300 employees. Uh, they've been around for about, I think, six years, and they've grown so fast. They're in the number two of Inc. 500. Uh, they grew over 50,000%, uh, which is insane how fast they grew this company. And uh, Tom is just an absolute masterful entrepreneur, and what he's achieved is so extremely inspiring. I know you guys are going to learn a ton around marketing, growth, right? even, even around physical products and the logistics behind it all and how they've managed to just build this amazing company. And I was even lucky enough to uh, actually catch up with Tom for dinner, and I can't just 
say how much he's just an amazingly humble entrepreneur. And it's just so incredible to see someone that's had this much success, how down to earth he is and how sharing he is with all the things that he knows and has learned as being a super successful entrepreneur. So guys, if you are enjoying these, please do share this with your friends. Please do take the time to leave us a review. And uh, now let's jump into the show. So the first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? (laughs) Uh, Well, this is a job that I made with my partners and I. Um, We had a company before this one, which um, was a technology company. We had also built that. They actually hired me for that one as a copywriter. So when I met them, they were just beginning this technology company and they said, um, you know, we need somebody to help us build this. We have an opening as a copywriter, but don't think of yourself as a copywriter. Look at the problems that we have, uh, that we face, you know, and, and help us overcome those. And, and the sky's the limit. And I remember they used to say this really cool quote and I ended up adopting it later, which was, we look for partners, we settle for employees. So they had just a really, really cool mentality that allowed me to plug in and, and learn my way to the top, if you will. So that's how we became partners. And then this was was um, Quest was a reaction to, um, like you, we had built a company, but we hated our jobs. And we really wanted to find a passion, that love, you know, something that we could really believe in and enjoy every day, even if we were failing. And that concept of finding something that you would enjoy, even if you were failing, really became a powerful mantra for us. So for three very different reasons, we decided to found Quest Nutrition, which at the time that we founded it was, you know, literally a crazy idea. People thought we were out of our minds. We were launching a protein bar into a crowded market that had been declining for years. Uh, We actually had one distributor tell I need another protein bar, like I need another hole in the head. So it was uh, not exactly a warm reception, but we believed in what we're doing and we persevered and here we are. Yeah. Wow. So when did you start? We started conceptualizing of the company in about 2009 and we launched in 2010. Gotcha. So you've been around for about six years. Yes. Gotcha. Because you guys, you guys are crushing it. Like you know, I Quest bars are massive here, even in Australia. Um, so the first question I have to ask is, how did it all start? Like you said that you you you, know, you had this concept. Just yeah, I'm really curious. Um, you you know, people said that this is a massive crowd of market. How did it all start? Why why uh, bars? We really wanted to be in health and nutrition, um, largely because we see, you know, what's going on in the world, and there's just a, a massive slide towards ill health. And we were looking at metabolic disease as a challenge, and seeing it really as a grand challenge. It's one of the biggest challenges that we face as a human society, and um, wanted to tackle that. Felt that we could make a meaningful contribution because we had the belief that until you solve the problem by making food that people choose based on taste, and it happens. To to be good for them, you're never going to get anywhere. And when we were um, looking at launching the company, the, the refrain in all of nutrition was eat less, exercise more. And we just knew, man, that works for a really narrow band of people. Sounds like yourself, right? You're going to finish this interview. You're going to go to the gym. But for most people, um, that's just not a lifestyle they want to live. And quite frankly, like if you're not eating a terrible diet, you don't have to live like that. So we wanted to say, because we see ourselves as a food company. We're not a fitness company. We're not a protein bar company. 
we are a food company. And so we wanted to take a fundamentally different approach and make cookies, pies, cakes, you know, whatever the things are that people actually want to eat but we wanted to make it good for them. So uh, we saw that opportunity. And then quite frankly, for me, um, I grew up in a morbidly obese family. So it was incredibly an intimate challenge. It was to help people that I knew and loved and I wanted them to be happy. And I just knew that food is, is a drug and it's a powerful drug and it gets people into this negative spiral where they are feeling bad. So they turn to something that really does cheer them up, food, uh, but they choose the wrong kinds of food and then they feel worse, they look worse, so they need more food and, and you get into just a devastating cycle and thought, wow, if we can give them something that they would love to eat, they would crave, they're moving towards, but it was actually moving them from a metabolic standpoint forward, then we could do something really special. And, and so um, at night, while we were still running our technology company, we started making these bars with rolling pins and knives and, uh, and just started the old fashioned way, grinding it out. I see. And and how did you make your bars to have a unique selling proposition that stood out from the rest? That the funny thing is with that, we always thought that the formulation was going to be our calling card and you know, just the the taste was going to be insane. And so when we had that, we thought we were done. We're like, man, here we go. We're gonna launch this out in the market, it's gonna be incredible. And we just wanted to be marketers. That was our background, right? Mm. And we went to contract manufacturers. We said, hey, we have this revolutionary uh, formulation. We want you to make it for us. And they said, wow, this thing tastes great. It's amazing. Unfortunately, it can't be produced. And we didn't know enough about it at the time. So we're like, why on earth can't it be produced? Like, it seems so straightforward to us. But once you strip out sugar from the bar, because sugar doesn't, in large-scale manufacturing, it's not normally powdered sugar. It's coming in the form of a liquid sugar. So high fructose corn syrup is a very typical example of that. And once you strip that out, the product really did become impossible to make with off-the-shelf equipment. So oh. I'm sure many, many people had come to the same conclusion that we had, but when they went to the contract manufacturers and they said it couldn't be done, they compromised on the product just to make it produce. And we had promised ourselves we wouldn't do that um, so when we hit that roadblock, we decided that, well, I guess we're going to have to get into the game of manufacturing ourselves and sort of crazily enough went out and bought our own equipment and, and embarked on that just absurd journey. So yeah, we, we didn't stop when we hit that roadblock. We just made it happen. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And you said that you were, you were working on the bars, um, while you're working at a technology company, but how did you come up with this revolutionary formula? Like, like how did that work? You just were playing around, uh, just keep you know, testing things in the kitchen or. Yeah. So my business partner, Ron and his wife, Shannon were, uh, they're just avid, avid fitness guys. And I'm, I'm pretty into fitness. Like I'm a five a day a week in the gym kind of guy. But these two take it to a whole nother level. So they were doing some early prototypes at home. And, and at one point, they were getting to the point where we thought, hey, we should really look at commercializing this. And that began an actually pretty long journey. It took us about 18 months to figure out how to actually make the product shelf stable, which is a lot harder than uh, certainly we would have thought going into it. Yeah, well, can you tell us about that? Like, how does that work? Yeah, here's the thing that really took us by surprise. So water is your enemy. Now, when we first started, we thought, oh, it's, you know, the bar is too hard, add a little bit of water. <laughs> but uh, that's actually what bacteria thrives on to grow. So when you have 
too high a level of water activity, then the product will rot very, very quickly. So one of the uh, most important things to do when you're making a product that needs to be shelf stable is to find a way to bind the water. Most people use sugar for that. And that's where we really had a hard time because we had to find a substitute to bind the water that wasn't um, based in a, a sugar like high fructose corn syrup. So we finally found a way to do it through fiber, which um, ended up being really important in the evolution of our product. Ah, I see. And what ended up happening with the tech company? Well, once we got Quest Nutrition up and running and we realized that not only was it an incredibly viable business, but it was rapidly growing and really spoke to what we wanted to be doing with our lives. We were really, really passionate about it. We decided to sell the technology company. So um, at the, the height of our success with that company, we sold it and moved over to Quest full time. Gotcha. And are you able to give our audience just um, a, a brief update um, where the company's at uh, six years from now, like six years later? Yeah, sure. So in the first three years alone, we grew by 57,000%, which is pretty crazy. In wow. 2014, we were named as the second fastest growing private company in America by Inc. Magazine. Um, and it was just an absolutely insane roller coaster ride getting here. Uh, when you think about growing that fast in a manufacturing business, it's scaling up physical equipment, which requires real estate. And um, actually, because we engineer a lot of our own equipment. So it's not even like we're buying it off the shelf. We have to custom make a lot of the parts and components. So it's a, it's, it was a thrilling and terrifying game of trying to estimate where you would be, you know, eight, 10 months down the road when you had to pull the trigger on the equipment. Um, and now we, our company's been valued at over a billion dollars. So wow. it's, it's, it's been an absolute just rocket ship ride from nothing six years ago to, um, you know, being what they call a, a unicorn company, which is, um, is way beyond what any of us would have expected. If I'm completely honest, I'd love to sit here and tell you six years ago, it was like, yeah, you know, Hey, uh, but no, I, we didn't see it growing this fast. Not at all. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Impressive. So you've got an amazing product. You got into your own manufacturing, but how did you get into wholesale and, and, and you work out your distribution chains? So we had a premise in the very beginning, and this is something anybody listening to this podcast, almost regardless of what you're selling, if you're selling something B2B, um, it, it won't apply. But if you're selling um, you know, to consumers, this really will. And that is you want to establish a relationship with your customer directly. Don't go to stores first. That was a big decision for us. You know, Do we go to stores and try to build our brand, leveraging the visibility of some of the bigger retailers in the health and fitness channel? Or... Do we go direct online? And now it might seem self-evident, but back in 2009, when we were really thinking about this, this was sort of a, you know, a, a much less obvious answer. But going direct to the consumer, building a community online, socially, making sure that your product is really resonating with people, you create what's called pull-through demand. So we had stores coming to us. We had distributors coming to us rather than the other way around. And that really put us in a position where we could um, get more favorable contracts so that we weren't having to agree to terms that were completely lopsided in the favor of the retailer. And that has just been incredibly important to the success of our brand because the early terms that we were getting from retailers were would just not have been healthy for the brand long term. Gotcha. What 
what did you mean by that? I'm curious um, in terms of early terms wouldn't have been healthy for the brand. So you could um, imagine a large retailer can make demands of exclusivity. Um, they can make demands of margin. They really can put a lot of different things into the contract about returns and or even just, you know, some people will make you essentially give them the product on consignment, which means if it doesn't sell, then you have to take it back. And now mm. you're um, out the cost of freight both ways and you never made any money. I mean, it, it really can be disastrous to a small brand if you get yourself in a weak negotiating position. So we actually said no to the largest retailers in our space for over a year. They had people coming into their stores asking if they carried Quest Nutrition and they kept having to say no. So they're coming to us and you know we're saying, look, man, we really want to be a part of what you're doing. We understand completely the, the impact that that would have on our business, but the terms we for the health of our business, we can't agree to the terms. So we finally, um, after about a year and a half, we had so many people going into stores in the health and fitness channel asking about Quest every day um, that we were finally able to get terms that were balanced. Ah, I see. And so you sold just direct to consumer via your website then mainly. Correct. And uh, what was fueling that growth? How did you build so much trust why, why Quest? Like, you know, you've got a great product, um, you know, obviously word of mouth, but what were you doing to fuel that growth in particular? So our thing was we understood back in 2009, 2010 that social media was um, not what people were perceiving it as. At the time, people thought, oh, man, Facebook's just a big distraction at work. Like, how are businesses ever really going to use this? And our thing was, it's just a megaphone. It's really just an opportunity for people to connect with each other and talk about something. And if you give them reason to say something good, they'll say it. And if you give them reason to say something bad, they'll also say that. Mm. So our thing was, we want to evangelize customers and then create a supportive community that they can feel good about, man. I wanted people, like if you touch Quest, I want you to feel like I'm not trying to push product on you. I'm just trying to help you make your dreams come true, right? And so that's the, you know, the name of the company really speaks to that. We didn't name ourselves um, after, you know, protein or anything like that. Not even food, to be honest. We wanted to explain to people on a, uh, don't take this word the wrong way, but on a more spiritual level, what we were about, you know, what's our ethos. Mm, and your why. Yeah, exactly. Well said. And so to get to our why, ourselves, we're all on Quest. We're trying to make things come true in our life. And if you look at the way we market, like we have this show called Inside Quest and people look at that and say, okay, what does that have to do with selling protein bars? And the answer is nothing. But protein bars is just one of the ways that we're trying to help people lead a better life to really uh, find fulfillment in their lives and what they're doing. And that's so important to us as a brand is to be supportive to encourage people to give them the tools they need, whether they're you know dietary tools or whether they're intellectual tools to go and build the life that they want to build. And at the end of the day, we see ourselves as a company of transformation. And transforming isn't just about the body. Um, it's also about the mind. And so that's been super important to us. And I think people feel that and they feel that in the way that we've used social media to connect authentically, to give before we ask, what can we get? And because of that, because we were literally giving away the product and just saying, try it, man. Tell us if you like it. And if you hate it, tell people you hate it. Like we want to know. So we had um, a very different approach that 
got a lot of people excited, not just about the product, but they felt good about the way that we treated them. And doing that, evangelizing people at the business level, like I think that was a big part of our success. I see. And talk to me also, you know, about your first thousand customers. What did you do to to get them very early on? You met you mentioned social media. What other tactics, strategies were you guys using? So uh, just like Tim Ferriss talks about in his book, we really wanted to identify those thousand true fans that would really understand our product and that it would be meaningful and useful in their lives. And we also tried to identify people that had reach, that had influence, and we researched the life out of those people. And we wrote the to each one of them and explaining why we thought the product might be useful to them, why it might be useful to their audience, and just really showed real appreciation and understanding for who they were and what they were trying to do. Because a lot of, you know, when people are building a community, it's like this real sense of service to that community. They want to do something awesome for their community. And we wanted to help them with that. And we saw ourselves the same way. We wanted to do something awesome. And we'd send them free product and just say, hey, man, if you like it, tell people you like it. And if you hate it, tell people you hate it. Like, And I actually think that not trying to um, steer their comments gave us a, a pretty great reputation. Uh, which is really neat. And so, you know, some people did. They didn't like it and <laughs> they told people they didn't like it. Uh, but the vast majority of people loved it and really felt like it brought something great to their life and, you know, just were were grateful that we had shown an understanding of who they were and what they were trying to do and, and they just spread the word. Mm, so you did things that don't scale. That's how you built your unicorn company in the early yeah, days. The, the irony is, so if you listen to Gary Vaynerchuk, he talks about like, if you want to get an advantage, just do more work than other people, right? And I think at the end of the day, other people just aren't willing to write those letters. They're not willing to go and research and figure out who these people are and show like a real depth of understanding. And that's something that, um, you know, our, our podcast Inside Quest has become famous for is just the level of research that we do because I want to honor the guest, right? Like I want to honor them by showing, look, I know who you are. Like I know who you are as a person. I don't just know your bio. Like I get your worldview and I want to bring that knowledge and those insights to our audience. And when you show people, like you really see them, there's a great quote, I forget who it's by, but that a person's name is the most beautiful word in any language, right? Just feeling felt, feeling understood, it goes a long way. So is it scalable? I don't know. The community kind of picked up for us, to be honest, and, and reinforces that sense within the community. But sure, we can't, uh, we can't write letters um, all day, every day anymore, I'm sad to say. Mm. So a big play in the early days was fostering that community early on. What do you guys do now for the community and how do you keep um, fostering it? Man, we put a ton of energy and resource behind not just creating good content, uh, but creating a wide variety of content that we think will be super supportive to all the people in the Quest community. And that's everything from Facebook Live live cooking shows where people can see how to use our products, other products to make just amazing, healthy items to Inside Quest, which is, you know, bringing on um, in incredible thought leaders from Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Carol Dweck, Gabrielle Reese, Laird Hamilton. I mean, just some absolutely phenomenal 
people um, and, and getting them to come on and tell their story. You know, obviously you really understand the power of, of podcasting and, and building a community and putting something out there. And, and that just makes a lot of sense to us as well. So, uh, and, and all of this like inside quest doesn't generate revenue. We don't try to sell anything. Like there's no advertising, nothing. It's literally just to give back to our community of fans who've been so supportive of the brand. Mm, yeah. Well, that's amazing. And you built you you know you've got your your, your true fans uh what what happened next it really began to grow rapidly word of mouth and like i was saying earlier the speed with which it caught on fire man really really took us by surprise and we were doing what we call mirror marketing so we didn't want people to see us when they looked at quest and and the way that we were marketing we wanted them to see them so it's always been a celebration of the fans which gave them reason to tell their friend and um in the beginning we were sort of that cool band that you knew and loved and nobody else did and you wanted to tell somebody about it. Um, and, and people were, and we continued to give product away like crazy hand over fist. And we thought any, (laughs) any company that you can build by giving your product away is, uh, that's a a good business model because it means that it's actually delivering enough value on that first exposure that people will come back and buy. Um, so that became our motto, man, just give as much product away as possible and be as supportive as possible, no matter what people are trying to accomplish. I see. And giving that product away, was that sacrificing profit for growth? It was definitely sacrificing profit if you think about sort of uh, the amount of money that you make on each dollar. But when you start thinking about the amount of money that you put in your bank account, which I think people actually lose sight of, right? I'd rather make 10% profit and put a billion dollars in my bank account than make 90% profit and put $100 in my bank account. So we just looked at what's the lifetime value of a customer, what level of profitability is comfortable in terms of just um, you know having enough cash in the bank that that you can weather any storm, and and then we you know have invested the rest in giving away product. Now we're getting into cancer research and have spent millions of dollars in cancer research, and we're wow. doing that because we have a hypothesis that cancer is a metabolic disease. Um, and if that's accurate, it's going to be a food company that solves that problem and not a drug company. And, you know, we've spent like half a trillion dollars on um, cancer research and only created a 5% increase in life expectancy. So we've put a lot of money behind that. And that's not Quest, obviously, that's just sort of the global expenditure. Um, but when you start really looking at ways that we might be able to be useful to people doing some of the studies that other people aren't willing to do because there's no drug at the end of the rainbow, right? There's nothing that we can patent. We just want to know metabolically speaking, is it true or not? Um, and, and for us, the reason we want to do that is our mission is to end metabolic disease. And that's not going to happen if we don't fully understand metabolism and metabolic disease itself. So um, cancer is something that, that as the, you know, the founders of the company, we are so passionate about and really believe um, we might be able to you know, make a meaningful difference. And, and we're not trying to patent anything or hide it. We um, just had our first big conference where we were presenting all the data that we learned. We invited competitors. Some of them showed up. We just really want people to understand the state of metabolism, the, the state of nutrition, and, and hopefully collectively we can all push that forward and, and be armed with better information. Yeah, wow. That's truly amazing, dude. Um, I, I love the fact that you guys are giving back so hard. 
Yeah, I look, man, I, I think the the greatest privilege of success is being able to do that. And I'm such a junkie of Tony Robbins and um, really believe in the concept of being fulfilled. And don't get me wrong. Look, I'm I'm a, a hardcore business guy. I want to win. I'm here to win. This is not Pollyanna. But at the same time, giving back and identifying something that's meaningful in your life that you think you can really make a contribution to. I mean, so many people's lives are touched by cancer and um, it's, it's just, um, I don't know, man, it's, it's meaningful and it makes us feel good. And, you know, when you're sitting across, cause we actually counsel people that are going through cancer right now on diet and, and um, you know, what they should be doing to maximize their chances of success. And when you're sitting across from somebody who's going through something like that, it's like all you want to do is help. And if you can, you know, sort of close your eyes and imagine how that person is representative of millions or even hundreds of millions of people, um, suddenly it becomes pretty easy to fight and show up every day and kick ass and, and try to really do something awesome. Hmm. The secret to, Living is giving. Yeah, you know, Tony Tony says that a lot. And I just go to the neurochemistry of it, right? And we are a social species and we're wired for connection. And when you can do something um, that really brings value to somebody else, it feels rad, you know? And look, at the end of the day, if it, it made me sick to my stomach and made me feel badly about myself, I wouldn't do it. Uh, but the great news about being human is it makes you feel connected and it makes you feel good. And uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. And it's truly a privilege to be in this position and we don't take that for granted. Mm, that's amazing. So I have to keep pushing a little more on this growth stuff because uh, yeah. I know that's what our audience would be. They, they, they'd be mad if I didn't. And Hell yeah, let's get crazy. And we'd work, to, we'd work towards wrapping up. So you know, what does it take? What else, what other things does it take to build a unicorn? You, did you, did you guys, because you were going so fast and you're, you're, you must've been like a capital, you are a capital intensive business in terms of manufacturing. Did you guys have to raise capital? Did you have to get a, a big line of credit from the bank? Because that can become a detriment to a business when you're growing that fast, right? Yeah. Growth is the most dangerous thing that any company can endure. Now, without it, it's even worse, but when you're a hyper growth company, it's uh, it's incredibly crazy. So here are the tactics if you want to survive hyper growth. One, I am a huge believer in partnerships, and I would be nowhere without my two partners. And you need a mixture of different skill sets. You need somebody who can dream. You need somebody who can paint vision. No question. But you also need somebody that can watch your financials and execute on that incredibly, incredibly well. And if we hadn't had my business partner, Mike, um, who focuses just relentlessly on the finances, we never would have been able to get where we've gotten. We did not take any outside capital, at least not during the growth phase of our company. And we were able to do that because literally we're, you know, negotiating contracts and terms that allow us to pay things at, you know, advantageous uh, time so that we're able to manage our cash flow. And it really is a cash flow game that you're playing. And so you've got to look at, okay, how much cash do I have in the bank? How much cash do I have in, you know, accounts receivable? Um, and then how much do I have going out? And you, we were literally watching that by the day 
um, and making very calculated bets on anything that required significant capex. So when we had to invest in new equipment, for instance, that had long lead times, which it may be eight months before I get that in, and then another two to four months after that before I start collecting revenue. So you're you know a year sometimes farther out. So you have to place very very calculated bets, uh, putting in as little capital as possible. I'll give you some examples of ways that we really stretched a dollar. Um, so first and foremost, obviously, as founders, we were taking like virtually nothing um, in terms of pay. So we were, uh, I mean, for like almost two years, my wife and I almost didn't leave the house. Uh, we sold one of our cars, only had one car. We commuted together and it was like this beat up old car. And, you know, obviously just cut your expenses to the quick. And then on top of that, when we were growing, we didn't want to take on a big lease or a big, uh, we certainly didn't want to buy, which while better from a, an investment standpoint is terrible from a cash flow perspective because you have to put, you know, say 20% down, mm. um, could be in the millions of dollars. So that was out. So we went and we found businesses that had more real estate than they needed. And we said, hey, let us come in and essentially work out of the back. So for a while, we were operating out of a popcorn factory <laughs> and you just segment off the space and, you know, put a essentially uh, – Plastic wall was essentially what we we put down. It's all health codey stuff, but you put this wall in between and partition it out. And yeah. so now, for dirt cheap rent, you're able to start building your business. And then uh, we happen to be lucky, and we were in a business park. And so first, we would take over one you know building, and then we would let the landlord know, hey, anything else comes up, then we want it. And then we take over another and another. And by the time we left. We must have had 30% of this business park spread out all, all around. It was a total nightmare. We're driving forklifts through the parking lot. Everybody hated us. Uh, but, you know, you find these just hyper-tactical ways uh, to save money. And, and if you want, like, if you find yourself in this position, one, like I said, you got to have somebody in your, um, the partnership there that really, really understands finances, um, but also understanding that you're in a cash flow management game and that you're also in the, the sort of crystal ball predictive game because we were growing so fast that when I would order, let's say I was ordering a pallet of protein powder, mm. I knew just in the four week lead time before that ingredient arrived that I would have grown substantially enough that I had to plan for my growth when placing the order. Because by the time that pallet would arrive, it would no longer be enough for the run rate that we were at four weeks later. So you have to, man, you just have to be in your business. You've got to know more about your business than anybody else. You have to know every aspect of it. Mm, I see. And, you know, one thing when you are growing is sometimes it's hard to maintain that growth and staying on top of it. So what are you guys doing to stay at the top of your game and still fuel that growth? I think people have to have a very clear vision of what they're trying to accomplish. You know, and for us, it's, we feel like we are in our infancy because we judge everything, everything by whether or not we've ended metabolic disease. And the truth is we haven't. We haven't even come close. Like have we taken maybe the smallest of baby steps? Maybe. Um, but we know that there's just a huge chasm between where we are today and where we need to get to in order to accomplish our goals. So staying hungry from that perspective is easy. Now, if you're money motivated, then we might, you know, we might be in trouble. We got offered over a billion dollars for the company. We could have retired, bought islands, and you know, just been done with the whole thing. But the truth is, money isn't our primary motivator. So, you know, we were so focused on on really 
going after one of the largest problems that we face as a society and saying that's our problem to solve. That's not anybody else's. We're not going to wait for anybody else. Like that, we're going to go after that. And that's going to be something that we're going to try to do in our lifetimes. We're going to give ourselves over to it completely. We're going to go after it all out. And if you've got something in you that you believe in that much, You'll, you'll stay hungry, man. But if you're just in it for the money and you're asking yourself, what's the least I can do today to get what I want, you'll, you'll fade away. Mm, I love that. Awesome. Well, look, a couple last questions, Tom, before we wrap up. Um, if someone wanted to start a physical product business uh, right now today, what's the best piece of advice that you would give them? There is nothing stopping you but you. We live in a world where you can 3D print virtually anything you want. I mean, they've got 3D printers now that print what, like 12 different materials simultaneously. It's nuts. Uh, you know, it's the democratization of even manufacturing is so unbelievable. This is the most exciting time to be alive. It is the most freeing time to be an entrepreneur. You just need to get out and do it. And you need to find something that delivers value. And I cannot stress this enough. If you have a product that people value, they'll pay for that. If people aren't willing to pay for it, you don't have a product that delivers value. There's an amazing episode. I think it was Creative Live with Tim Ferriss and um, Noah Kagan from AppSumo. Mm. And Noah Kagan gives the most brilliant elucidation of how most people have some romantic idea of the thing that they want to sell versus selling what people actually want. You've got to watch that episode. It blew me away. It stopped me in my tracks. It was absolutely incredible. And he takes this guy that has a wooden toothbrush and he helps him get a sale live right there on the air. It was absolutely incredible. And is, is I think for most beginning entrepreneurs who are selling something physical, uh, just, just a breakthrough in the way that he's able to explain how to give your customers the value that they're willing to pay for. Mm, that's gold. Awesome. All right. Well, look, um, that, that was amazing. Uh, a couple of last questions, Tom, uh, before we wrap up, was there any final words that you wanted to say? And then last question is where the, where's the best place people can find you? Yeah, so I know the people that are listening to this podcast, they are me 20 years ago. They have a sense that their life could be better. It could be more. Um, you know, they believe in their heart that they've got that entrepreneurial spirit and they just haven't yet taken that step. And I want to quote Marie Forleo, who hopefully your guests already know, but if they don't, we'll immediately go out and look her up. And she says that clarity comes from engagement, not thought. And I think that is so powerful. If you want to start a business, just do it. That doesn't mean leave your job. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, put everything at risk. It just means start the company. So just like for us, you know, we started Quest Nutrition at night while we were running another business. And it wasn't even for us a nine to five. We were all in trying to build that thing. And yet at night, we still found time uh, to make these protein bars by hand and, and start giving them away and just see, like, is this something that we can really build a business? You don't have to gamble everything, but you do have to act. And man, on the other side of that, if you're not asking like, hey, what can I, what opportunity can I exploit to make money? But you're saying, what is that thing I believe in enough that I have enough passion to learn more about than anyone else in the world? And I will fight my ass off even when it gets really hard. If you can align your business around that thing, man, you will be unstoppable. Humans are just resourceful when they tap into their passion. It's, it's absolutely astonishing. And if you want a book that'll explain how to go from interested to passionate. Read Cal Newport's book, So Good They Can't Ignore You. 
It is the most breathtaking breakdown of what passion really is. He totally debunks the passion myth. Is It's not something that hits you like a bolt of lightning. It's something that has to be cultivated and built, uh, but that anybody can build a truly fiery passion, uh, something for which you'd really fight. So go out and do it, man. Nobody's stopping you but you. Love it. And where's the best place people can find you? You can find me at at Tom Bilyeu, uh, and last name is spelled B as in Bravo, I-L-Y-E-U, or at InsideQuest, and also InsideQuest.com. Awesome. Well, look, Tom, thank you so much uh, for sharing so much wisdom. Um, that was amazing, dude. And uh, we'll wrap there. Truly my pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me on. This was awesome. I think what you're doing socially is so badass. Uh, I've been a fan for a while, so I've been uh, following you voraciously. It's good stuff you put out there. Oh, thank you so much, brother. Hope you have a great day. Thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. You got it, man. I'll see you soon. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.